Hey everyone, welcome to Sailing the Seas of Education. My name is Rad Mayfield, and these podcast voyages will focus on issues relevant to teachers' roles as educational leaders. The winds of education are constantly changing. This podcast is an outgrowth of my own navigation towards a better understanding of who I am as a teacher and a leader. Sailing the seas of education, like real sailing, which I love, requires the crew to work collaboratively to reach their destination. Utilization of the professional capital that teacher leaders bring to their schools in collaborative effort has great potential to positively impact students and teacher colleagues. My goal is to seek out and interview individuals about their explorations either with or as teacher leaders that illustrate the powerful impacts that collaborative work can have on our schools. You know, no captain of a ship is successful without taking advantage of the skills of their crew. If you're a school administrator, a captain if you will, and you want to discover how to help foster teacher leadership in your school, then these voyages of discovery may help you think about how you might better sail your ship. If you're a teacher and looking to become a better teacher leader, then perhaps these voyages might help you to find ways to grow your professional capacity through reflection on your work as a teacher leader. Maybe you're just someone who believes in the power of education and you want to hear about the great things happening on voyages navigating the seas of educational change. Regardless of your reason for listening, it's my hope that these voyages illustrate some of the great things that our teacher leaders are doing as we navigate the many challenges of education. So let's get sailing. The 1960s brought school integration, and that was the impetus for many challenges that had to be met by leadership in schools for several generations. These are challenges that we're struggling with still today, some 60 years later. During that time, no other set of circumstances has really put schools as a whole to the extent of trial that the last two years have brought. Issues of racism and social inequity, injustice and diversity have been brought to the forefront once again. And then the pandemic hit. In the spring of 2020, our world, our country, in particular to this podcast, our schools experienced a sudden end to normalcy that would bring the need for leadership that perhaps no other set of circumstances has ever inspired. My name's Rad Mayfield and I'm a high school teacher. I've also been a sailor most of my life and I wanna take you along on a voyage of discovery of leadership challenges and successes that I experienced during this time. I'm hopeful that my voyage can shed some light on how teachers can, as leaders in their schools, work to affect change and promote stability when all around them is in seeming chaos. And it absolutely was. Teachers and students were sent home with the mandate to continue school virtually when neither, with the exception of those that were already in virtual classrooms, had experienced before. These were some fairly stormy seas to navigate for sure. My initial response to the gales of change was to turn to our local experts, our teachers, and organize them to cooperate for the benefit of everyone in raising concerns and challenges that they had experienced. Success and a district-wide effort organized around this led me to propose that we needed to provide opportunity for mutual support and collaboration by teachers to face the challenges of our upcoming hybrid year. We didn't have much collaborative structure in place, as is true of most high schools, and administrators were stretched thin dealing with how to get everyone access to school virtually, dealing with parents, 
and other administrative tasks. Students have been cast into the waves and needed rescue. Teachers were suddenly so far out of their comfort zones that they were uncertain about how to proceed. My thought, recognizing that there would likely be no quick rescue from outside, was that our local teachers were the best crew to navigate these uncharted waters and that they had the capacity and expertise, compassion, and concern for our students. I felt that I had to help chart that course, leading a collaborative effort that would capitalize on that expertise to keep us sailing. In today's first episode, I want to lay the groundwork to establish that my choice of tack was valid. I'm going to talk with a high school principal and friend of mine in a school where teachers are and have been working collaboratively to ply the seeds of education and explore his thoughts about the value he places on that collaborative work. I'm also going to ask about how he relies on teacher leaders who help to steer the teams as they sail towards the goal of working for the education of their students. Welcome to the program, Josh. Thank you, Ray. Thanks for having me on here. Yeah. Hey, tell me a little bit about yourself and your school for our listeners. So my name is uh, Josh Tripp. I am the principal at Bucksport High School um, in Bucksport, Maine. Uh, we have four sending communities to our high school. We have about 300 and um, just under 360 students at our school. And I have been the principal there for five years, but I have been in the school district 12 years as a teacher, three years as a middle school principal, and then five years as a high school principal. I actually even did my student teaching um, at Bucksville High School. So I've spent my entire uh, academic career at BHS. I see. So your student teaching, your teaching, and your administrative work have all been there? Yeah. Minus a three-year stint at Bucksport Middle School, um, where I, I first got into administration. Um, the rest of it's been right at Bucksport High School. And you were an AP there? Uh, no. I was actually, uh, my first administrative um, gig was the straight principal at the middle school. And then uh, the high school principal took a job at a neighboring school district. And so we did an internal transfer and I, I moved up to the high school. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about when you were a teacher, would you have considered yourself a teacher leader? Is that maybe the route that you took heading into administration or was that um, something you just did because you wanted to be an administrator? I certainly think I was, you know, and I, I not right away. I mean, I think, you know, when I was first there, I was very fortunate that I had a very strong mentor who I did my student teaching under and then was able to continue to work with him when I got hired right after that. Uh, you know, and, and I really had a great opportunity to learn from him. I mean, he, he really, he was the department head for the math department and he really just did a fantastic job of just kind of showing me what it was like to be an educator in a school. And I think over the years, I was afforded a lot of different opportunities and I, and I took the lead on them. You know, so I, I did a lot of curriculum work. I introduced a couple of new programs, like a computer science program, uh, an engineering program. I was also a coach within the school. So I think, you know, coaching really kind of ties into teacher leadership. Some of the, a lot of the same aspects, you know, obviously working with students as opposed to other teachers. But then I was on our uh, school leadership team um, for for four years prior to me leaving to take on the principalship. Sounds like you've done a lot of leading in your career since you got started. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one thing that our school district has done a really good job of, of the years is um, I think internally identifying people that want to take on those leadership roles, um, empower them 
you know, to make mistakes and learn from them and be better and help their colleagues out, you know, and then I think reward that. It's just like anything, you, you know, you go and you take master's coursework and the school pays for them most often in, in most school districts. I just feel like I've been fortunate enough where like they invested in me and I haven't been able to kind of return that investment by working as an administrator within the district as opposed to kind of taking off and going to a different school district. Uh, but I think we certainly have had a strong tradition of putting teachers in positions where they can be leaders and really affect change within the school district. Yeah. Some of the implications from my study were that that was so important for teacher leadership is that having that support from administrators and from the district and um, just in anything that you're trying to do, even our, you know, our work in our doctoral program that was supported by our schools has just been an amazing uh, growth opportunity for me as a teacher leader. And so, so I appreciate that your school district is is supportive of that. I think that's awesome. Yeah. You know, but I think it's important to know that that leadership roles, I think, look different, you know, uh, throughout the school. Uh, you know, you, there's certainly formal leadership roles, like we have our leadership team. Um, you know, most high schools have some sort of similar structure, whether it be department heads or leadership team, you know, curriculum teams. So, I mean, I think there's very formal leadership structures that are in place, but I think you know, one thing that we've worked really hard on is empowering teachers, leaders, just by giving them a voice. So you may not have a formal role, but you have the ability through some other structures where you, you may not have an official title or some sort of capacity, but you feel empowered to, to voice your opinion, to have it be heard, um, you know, and kind of get your hands dirty in some of the work that's going on to through different initiatives within the school. And I think I think that's almost more important um, or certainly just as important as our real formal leadership roles that we've identified. I think, you know, you need to try to empower teachers to, to want to be better and help make school wide changes. So, so do you have department chairs at your school? We do not. Right. And for the most part, there, there is a representative from each department on the leadership team. Um, it's kind of just naturally worked out that way. So on our leadership team, we also have um, different grade levels covered. So like there's a freshman, sophomore, junior and senior teacher on the leadership team, just to make sure that we're getting that broad perspective, you know, throughout the school. And are your teacher leaders on that leadership team, are they selected by you or are they self-selected or are they selected by the departments? So they are um, selected by me, certainly if there is someone that, you know, when a spot comes open and at the end of every year, I give everyone the option, like, listen, this is the time I ask every year, you know, if you would like to step down, if you want to have somebody else kind of take over for a year, get a different voice in there, you know, come see me and, and we certainly can and talk about that. And we have had teachers like, you know what, I'd like to have somebody else have a chance at um, having a voice. You know, obviously if the, when that spot comes open, I put it out to, to people who are interested. Um, and then out of the people that are interested, um, I make a decision as to who I think would suit that role the best um, based on the, the description that we have for them. So how many teachers do you have in your school? So including special education teachers, we have 30 full-time education teachers. I see. And how many on your leadership team? So there are seven on our leadership team, if you include our um, guidance counselor. So we have some from guidance, some from special education. 
right. um, the four cores right now. So that's six um, UA and then um, two administrators. Okay. So nine total, seven teachers. So when you think about every year, when you decide on who's going to be on your leadership team, I, I think I hear that you tell me that you're, you try to give opportunities to, to people across the staff. What, what, uh, what are the things that you look for in teachers that would be, you would consider to make them good leaders for the rest of the staff and for the school? Uh, I, that's a great question, right now. You know, I think the big thing that I'm looking for is even on when I've been on teams in the past where you've had an approach that's not really similar to the one that I would want to see. You know, I think that deep down they want the school to be better, right? That just their approach, their collaborative nature may not be where um, as conducive as you would want it to be for a leadership team. So I think that's what I'm really looking for is I want someone that you know, truly cares about making school-wide change for the better, but wants to do it in a collaborative manner. I certainly want them to challenge ideas that we have. And again, in a positive, collaborative way, but I just don't want yes people. Like I bring an idea. Yeah, that's great with it. You know, I want people to say, well, have you thought about this? Or what are some of the ramifications from that? Um, uh, so, you know, I think that's been very effective for us. You know, I, I mean, I facilitate, and I really do think I just, I, I facilitate our leadership team meetings, but I pretty much put topics out there and, and say, you know, this is kind of the information I'm looking for, go. And then it's just, you know, a ping pong effect of, you know, people bounce around throwing out information. Hey, this is what I think. This is the perspective that I got from my department or from my grade level team, you know? And so I, I think that's really the biggest, the biggest thing. I need someone that's going to be collaborative, passionate, you know, but but at the same time, I'm willing to to challenge um, established norms and ideas. Okay, that's great. Hey, you know, you've mentioned the word collaborative a lot of times, and so I, it's clearly important to you that collaboration is a part of your leadership um, role, um, is to guide other teachers in collaboration. And I know that you guys have implemented some um, dedicated collaborative time with teachers over the last few years. I'm not sure how long you've had that. And so I, that's one question I want to ask, how long have you guys had your collaborative groups? And then the other thing is, um, just tell me a little bit about how your collaborative groups, groups are organized. Are they departmental, interdepartmental? Are they single focus for all groups? Or does each group choose a focus? Those kinds of things. I'd just like to hear a little more about how your, how your groups collaborate. Yeah, sure. So I think we really have two main intentional structures that I would identify that kind of fit this collaborative group idea that, that you kind of illustrated in your introduction there, Red. Um, you know, our first and, and major one is our um, PLC, so our professional learning communities. Uh, I think we have been doing that, I may be off by a couple of years, but right around 2007, 2008 is when we started those. We were working with Great Schools Partnership at the time. They come in and they did some training. And our school board chose to, at the time, to dedicate an hour. So students get out one hour earlier throughout the whole district on Friday afternoons so that teachers have time, intentional time built to work in these professional learning communities. So the makeup of those groups, um, it really differs based on what we are working on. Half the time or fairly often, we do meet um, at departmentally, really agenda-driven. So what are we working on? What are the topics? Um, but, you know, quite often we're looking at standards work, we're looking at 
you know, when I was a teacher, you know, in the math thing, we'd be looking at assessments, math instruction. We'd actually, you know, we would take turns bringing our assessments in and saying, hey, how does this look? What do you think? Strengths, weaknesses. So you have that kind of departmental structure that we will use. And then we also have interdepartment PLCs um, that change. Um, so we would kind of keep the same PLCs. I would establish the groups um, to make sure that we had a mix of all the different content areas. And I really tried to make a mix of experienced teachers, um, less experienced teachers, um, just so that. So it truly was a, a good cross section of, of the school. Um, and, you know, some of the topics were the same. We were, we were it was interesting. We, we did a, an assessment round. Um, so we I think there was five people in each group. Um, so for five weeks, each person brought a lesson. They did a lesson and assessment and, and they got feedback from four other people. And even though I think, you know, when you get feedback from people inside your same content um, at the high school level, you know, you're getting very um, critical feedback in terms of, how you're assessing or delivering the content, which I think is important. But when we were doing the cross-group PLCs, it was interesting. You know, we were getting more general, like true, like teaching strategy uh, and the learning from each other. Like, hey, I never thought about doing a lesson like that or that interactive activity, or could you show me that app that you used? Uh, is that something that I could use here? Um, so I certainly had a different focus but it really got a, a lot of, I think, some important instructional strategies just shared and, you know, brainstorming. And, and um, I think people would use it as a springboard to create new lessons for themselves in a completely different discipline. You know, I think we've had a lot of success. It, it wasn't perfect in the beginning. You know, I, I remember just as a teacher, a little pushback, like it's an hour at the end of the day on a Friday afternoon, I'm kind of worn out from teaching all week. You know, like how productive is this going to be? Yeah, yeah, I recognize you know? that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think what we learned is that we were doing a lot of stuff that we were being asked to do previously just on our own time, right? Like people were still trying to figure out, how, hey, is this assessment any good? Or, you know, sometimes it's just very straightforward, more like action group stuff, like, when accreditation comes around and we need to get into groups to like identify um, standards, like we'll use that time right. there. But so I think as people learn, like, Hey, I'm getting something out of this and it become part of the norm. We adapted to it pretty quickly. You know, I, I still think there's times that we have pretty structured protocols that we use um, during these PLCs, especially when we're looking at like assessments or if we are, doing a deep data dive, like we're taking our NWA data um, or before when SATs were our state exam, you know, we, we were looking through, you know, we'd find the five questions that we did the worst on and the five questions that we did the best on and what were the commonalities for it and, mm. um, you know, and where is that showing up in our curriculum and, and how can we be better at it? So we would have a pretty structured protocol for that. Um, there's other times that we, we have a broad topic and I just give my PLC is like just time to talk like all right this this is not going well like you know we've noticed that we, we've really relied heavily on direct instruction what are other ways that we can incorporate other types of teaching techniques go take notes send it out to the staff right, right? and right. Um, so I think you have to have a mix of some of that stuff I see and so do your groups the, the leaders in your groups are they 
also chosen by you or do the groups, are they egalitarian or do they have a specific leader in each group or do the leaders shift based upon the topic? How do they, how do they decide who's leading the PLCs? So we use our leadership team structure. Um, so I have a standing agenda item on our leadership team meetings and we meet once a week. And that agenda item is what, what is our PLC agenda going to look like? Like, what do you, what do you need as a staff for PLC time? Um, not just for that Friday, but like maybe for the next three or four Fridays, like what, what are we going to be tackling right now? What groups are we going to be using? And like, what, basically, what do I need to provide for you for it to be successful? So if we're meeting in departments, typically the leadership team member is helping because they were there to establish the agenda, you know, during the leadership team meeting. So they will help facilitate those discussions. I've had very minimal turnover. Um, for a long period of time. So these people in these groups have worked together for a long time. Speaks well for you, my friend. Well, and that, I mean, that was happening. I mean, thank you. But that, I mean, it was happening primarily. There's people that have been teaching there just as long as I have. Right. Um, Right. And so, you know, I think the culture that we have built is what keeps them here. Right. right? I mean, because they, they don't make the most money out of all the school, surrounding schools, um, but they're happy, you know, and um, they're, they're provided those opportunities that we talked about earlier. So I think that kind of helps with retaining of teachers when you know you have this support every week from your colleagues that um, like you can go in and say, it's okay. I don't know how to do this. I need help. Right. And yeah. um, so when you do have the new teacher that comes in, yeah, I mean, you have a built-in system for them, um, you know, to troubleshoot ideas, you know, and, and say, hey, I had 40% of my class fail this test. What is going wrong, right? And it's now not the principal, like, because I can go and have those conversations. Um, and I know, Brad, you and I have had this conversation before in a state to me, but like, if it comes from someone that's doing their evaluations, it takes on a different tone, as opposed to if it's coming to from another colleague and it's it doesn't have a, an evaluative feel to it. They feel like that they can say, hey, I made a mistake, right? I need help and it's okay. Hey, so I guess I would ask that question. One of, the, one of the goals in my collaborative groups was I thought about trying to implement some sort of a peer feedback system, but also sort of make that a formalized part of uh, a teacher's professional growth and performance evaluation and I wonder what your thoughts might be about that. Is that something that a teacher collaborative group could take on, or would that be an inappropriate use of that time, you think? We're actually starting that work right now. We had started it pre-COVID. <clears throat> um, and again, I, I'm a pretty strong believer in peer feedback systems, especially non-evaluative ones. And I think that it's really important. So, so I think, yes, this, this structure is, is something that can help develop support and help even implement down the road once you kind of get them up and going. I think one of the key cogs to making uh, a peer feedback system work uh, is that culture and climate of, of being able to give and receive feedback. So I, I think that's really, really important because I don't think that you can have, I think it's really tough to have successful peer feedback systems if that school climate and culture is not supportive of that. And I don't think that it can be 
like I think I, I feel really good about us implementing them next year as we're trying to to work this out. And the reason I think it's going to work successfully is because we have something like our PLCs or our grade level teams like we do through VAR, um, the Building Assets Reducing Risk Program that we do, where we have, I mean, we have intentionally designed structures for collaboration, right? And whenever you're collaborating, you're giving feedback to one another. Um, so now that we tr want to transition to people going into each other's classrooms to give and receive feedback, well, they've been doing that intentionally for years now, right? So that, that's a built-in culture um, and just a, a, you know, a, a school norm that we have. Like, yeah, we, we're going to open up our classrooms and, and it's okay. Um, so I think that this is a structure that can help develop and promote those, but I think more importantly, it can help kind of set the groundwork so that culture and climate um, will support those peer feedback systems. You know, it sounds like that was, you know, sort of exactly what I had hoped to to implement because I felt like one thing is not only are you getting the benefit of being observed in a, in a class or even an, on a recording, um, but you also have other teachers benefiting from seeing what you're doing. Whereas if it's an administrator doing an evaluation, it's really sort of a one-way kind of feedback system. Right. Which is too bad. I mean, because I love having conversations about teaching and learning. And and I 98% of the time, the comments that I'm giving, I don't even think of them as evaluative, but just my role automatically brings that, you know, you and I could say the same thing to the same person, right? But just yep. because of my role, it'll be taken differently, even if there's oh, sure. no intent behind it. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you have a, when you have someone who is your your boss in the room or your administrator in the room, it's, it's a definite, definitely, definitely different feel for sure. Yeah. I think the, the one thing that we heard pretty loudly and, and from the research that I, I did through surveying my staff um, is that there has to be intentional time provided for it to work. So if, if it's just an add on to what they're already doing um, like, Hey, during your prep period, we will find time to step into somebody else's classroom. Um, you'll get some teachers that will absolutely do that, but you'll have some other teachers that either one really rely so much on that prep time that it would really be a burden for them um, and then become resentful of the process, right? Like this is an added on task to all of the other things that we've already been asked to do. Mm. So I think we are really looking hard at like, how can we intentionally build time for this to happen so it's not an additional thing? So what we're looking at next year is, um, you know, we'll, we'll find eight to 10 days where I, will, where I will hire a sub for the day strictly to yeah. go into people's, cover their study hall. Like you don't have to cover a study hall today. During that 40 minute time, I want you to go to three classrooms for yeah. 15 minutes and, you know, we'll have a, a setup form you have a teacher that does, we have 40 minute blocks, right? So even if they get the two 20 minute sessions, right? That's 16 observations in one day for one sum, you know? Right. And then you, you would take back those observations to their PLCs. So the teachers Correct. would be observing other teachers that are in their PLCs. Yeah. That's the part that we're kind of fleshing out. And, and again, I think part of making it an organic process of having the leadership team and, and, um, PLCs and staff meetings really kind of develop this 
to the way that we want, certainly supporting it with research and the stuff that I've done to try to put parameters around it. So it's going to be successful. Um, right. But, you know, we've even talked about like just aggregating data, right. Similar to like what we used to do with I walkthroughs um, uh, with Grace Schools partnership. You just kind of, you know, as you're doing these, yes, certainly give them feedback, but how many times did kids get up and leave the classroom, right. During, during the 20 minutes that you were there, um, how many kids responded to questions? Uh, was it direct instruction or was it independent work or just to try to get, you know, as we're doing these, like at different moments of time, we can focus on different things, certainly. Um, but, right. you know, we can kind of aggregate that data as a school. Um, yeah. And I, again, I think, again, if I, if I do 10 days or 20 days, you know, I, I can get 300 data points or 300 opportunities for teachers to get in and do right. observations. And it was nothing added onto their plate. Like they were freed up from doing something else to, to go and do that. Right. Yeah. I think that's a great opportunity. And um, yeah. So I want to hit one more topic with you tonight and that still is related to the collaborative groups. And that is the fact that when we tried to implement our collaborative groups, it was something that was novel to us. And of course I, the plan was implemented as we entered into our hybrid year of education following the previous spring where we had all gone home because of COVID. And I, I, I thought all along, I said, boy, I wish we had already had something like this in place because I felt like it would have made our collaborative work a lot easier, but also it would have given us, like you said a minute ago, you talked about how it's something that has been, has been integrated in for so long that it, everybody understands that it's a part of the system and a part of the way things work. So I wonder how you would how you would reflect on whether your collaborative groups, your PLCs, were a big help as you dealt with the challenges around COVID that certainly your teachers must have experienced just like we did. Yeah, I think I got two pretty good examples, I think, that would kind of illustrate how COVID had an effect in it and it really how they really helped us out in some cases and how I think we really saw um, some detriments to not having them work as well. Um, so I think the first part would be when, like I said, we, so we have our PLC structure, but we also have our grade level teams. So like all my freshman teachers, they have a common planning period. That's an addition to their prep period. So, you know, we carve that out of their schedule um, uh, and they meet uh, four days a week uh, to talk about the students and, in the ninth grade that they all share and how they're doing and collect data on them. Um, and we also do that at, at the sophomore level and to some extent at the junior level. Um, it's not as not as good and we don't have as many teachers because students start taking different classes. And I mean, in the 2019-2020 school year, the year that we went fully remote, you know, you have from September to March where these grade level teams are meeting every week, right? They have established norms because they've been in grade level teams for years now, since 2010. They've also worked together in PLCs in different ways, you know. So again, speaking to that culture of collaboration um, and working together, when we went fully remote, you know, so now we don't have students in our building. They're all scattered. Luckily, we have from September to March to build relationships with students and get to know them really well. But our teachers are now being forced to deliver fully remote instruction. You know, half of them never even have used Zoom before. 
you know, so we're kind of doing all these crash courses on technology, how do we instruct, how do we assess, um, what are we letting go, how are we paring down our curriculum. Um, and our, our grade level teams like made it a point we are going to meet still every day through Zoom um, and talk about kids and talk about supporting each other. Uh, and that's the only way we survived from March 13th to the end of that school year because, right. I mean, teachers were so overwhelmed. And I had, I had art teachers and my German teacher, like they were saying, hey, I need to get into these team meetings. I know I'm not on that grade level team, but, you know, schedules are out the window now, right? We're fully remote. Like I, I need to get into that, into that team so that I can get the support that these other teachers are getting. Cause I just, I need to know how to do some of these things. I've never seen email chains like go out the way, like we have email chains, you know, and, and people send out and you don't get a ton of replies or whatever, you know, people get busy in a normal year, but you know, since COVID has started, you know, I have teachers who say, I don't know how to set up breakout rooms. And so, you know, before people didn't want to even admit that they didn't know how to do something on the computer or didn't know how to, you know, like it was You're right. to say, I don't understand. Right. Yep. And now out know. of necessity, <laughs> yeah, out of necessity and desperation, they're now sending out these blast emails to the whole school. I need help setting up breakout rooms. In an hour, there's 15 responses, right? Yeah. So that started slowly, but then I was seeing this four or five emails every day. And people are responding, and um, and again, I know I keep coming back to it, but that culture and climate through that was built through intentional structures like PLCs and grade level teams really saved us during COVID. And have, had we not had that, I would not want to even begin to know one where my students' academic performance would be as a group, and two where the mental health of my teachers would be without the support from their peers. I can yeah. imagine. I, I am one of those teachers in upper grades who is not really a part of a, of a team at our school. We kind of do the same thing. We have a freshman team that meets. Um, and I actually am not even aware at this point of how regularly they meet. Um, but I think they do have some common planning time, maybe in two teams instead of a mm -hmm. single team. I think they're in two teams of teachers, but um I think they value that time, at least in keeping up with uh, students and, and, you know, where, when students are struggling, it gives them the chance to, uh, to discuss, you know, what are the possible reasons for that? And, you know, if they're struggling in one area and not another, then how do we, how do we dig into that and figure out what's going on? Um, so I think it's very valuable, but I, I think that was part of the impetus for me to organize these collaborative groups is because I knew that teachers were going to need support regardless of where their age groups were that they were teaching, right? I felt like they needed to be interdisciplinary just because everybody needed to have access to as many ideas as possible. And I felt like that gave a much better opportunity for that. Last year, Brad, when we were hybrid, so yeah. you know we had one group come in on Mondays and Wednesdays, second group come on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and we were fully remote on Fridays. Mm. Um, and this was the case all the way to April vacation until we were able to bring everybody back. But at the beginning of the year, as part of the negotiations with the teachers union and just feeling very overwhelmed 
and one hundred percent get this and understand where this came from. You know, Fridays they were fully remote and ended at noontime or twelve thirty, and rather than have PLCs, that time was um, given to teachers for prep, right, to try to design their classrooms for this hybrid world of having half your kids in person and half your kids at home. Again, one hundred percent understand why this was put in place and why teachers needed that that extra time at the end of the week because it was such a tough and challenging year and understanding all that I still fought it and I know I was not um, probably the most popular person because I still felt like our PLCs were so important and probably even more important last year than ever that we we really should have that that uh, I would have taken half an hour um, I didn't win and I didn't push it too hard because, again, I, I really didn't see why, you know, I, right. I didn't want to be like the person like, oh, you guys don't need prep time. This is like, just do the PLC work that I want you to do. That that wasn't the case. And I had teachers come to me and they were like, now I need colleague support now more than ever. And it's not there. What was interesting is I would walk around that building because even though the students were fully remote, the teachers were teaching from the building in their classrooms. Yeah. Teachers were getting together and bouncing ideas off each other on Friday afternoons instead of prepping. So they didn't have agendas. They didn't have structured guidance from me or from the leadership team, but they were still doing a lot of the stuff and not everybody, but there was a large percentage of like, Hey, I I need help. Help me figure this out. Or, um, you know what, we're going to do this, this bright space training in the library. Anybody who wants to be there, like one of those group emails, just, just show up. So it it was, It was, it was pretty impressive to see that endure, even though it wasn't intentionally say you have to be there. And I think that's probably the difference at our school um, because we only had a couple of groups that maintained through the whole year last year. And I think part of it was that the culture was just not in place to yeah. keep it going. And so I'm, I'm sure that uh, you guys having it already in place um, made a big difference in the in the continuation of that. Yeah. Well, any last comments you'd like to make about teacher leadership or collaboration? I think, you know, what uh, the, the research and the work you have done, Brad, and, um, you know, what you want to do. I just, I just couldn't imagine us being able to get what we need to get done on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis without these structures in place. Um, mm. you know, I, I, and again, even days that I don't give agendas and just say, Hey, this is your time. There's still really good stuff that happens during that time. It's not just teachers correcting papers. And, um, so I think, I think it's important. I think it, it, it is tough, but it doesn't just happen naturally. Um, and doesn't just come out and say, Hey, this is perfect. Look at all the work we're great work we're doing. I mean, it, it does take time to, to bring it along, but I think it's well worth it. Yeah, I would say it is. I would say it definitely is. Hey, I really appreciate your time tonight, Josh, and for sharing the story with me about your school. It's been been great hearing about all the good things that are happening at Bucksport High School. And uh, I feel like teacher leadership is um, often underutilized. I, I haven't experienced, you know, as much of it as I would like to have seen in my career. Um, but I also know that, uh, we have a lot of, a lot of great teachers in, in our schools and that there's a lot of potential that's untapped there. And I, 
And I hope that through this podcast and the, the discussions that I have over the next couple episodes that people will start to start to realize what the value of teacher leaders are in their schools and the values of collaborative work. Yeah. And again, don't don't sell yourself short because teacher leaders do not have to have official roles and titles. That does not make them a teacher leader. I think the the work um, that they do towards pushing a school ahead in, in a yeah. productive, collaborative manner, and I know I've said that over and over, that's what makes people teacher leaders, not the title or the role that they have. Right. Um, so, And I think you need a staff full of those people to to get where you you know want to be. Right. Hey, thanks a lot. It's been a great discussion. I sure appreciate your time. And uh, I guess that's all for now. All right. Thank you, Rod. All right. Yeah. Have a great evening. You too. You, Take care. All right. Bye. Bye. Well, that was a great discussion tonight with Josh, and I so appreciate him taking the time to spend time with me and talking about teacher leadership and professional collaboration for teachers. You know, teacher leadership is often underutilized, and we have a lot of professional capital in our schools. We need to know how to take advantage of it, and we need to make good use of it. Next time, I'm going to explore teachers' perspectives on collaboration and how they feel like they can be teacher leaders and the qualities of effective teacher leaders. The two teachers I'll be speaking with are young teachers in their seventh and ninth years of teaching who are emerging teacher leaders in the Orange County School System in North Carolina, both of whom I know personally. I will ask them about their leadership roles and about the support they receive to be able to grow as teacher leaders. So that's all for now. Sail on, friends. Hey, thanks for listening to Sailing the Seas of Education today, captained by me, Dr. Rad Mayfield. I'm a public school teacher with 27 years of experience in navigating education as both a science teacher and a teacher leader in my schools. I hope this voyage has been enlightening and has helped you to see ways you might better reach the shores that you seek. I also hope that you will join me for the next voyage as I sail with a new crew each time on this amazing expedition. May you experience fair winds and following seas on your own voyage of discovery and education. Happy sailing!